to this edition of Sports Voice After Dark, Season 2. It's great to be here. I'm Zach Wingrove. I'm joined by Henry Ettinger. Henry, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, Zach. Uh, it's my debut here on uh, Sports Voice After Dark. I'm excited to get after it. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. Uh, season, like I said, Season 2 of Sports Voice After Dark. This is my first appearance. I'm really excited. We're joined by our producer, Amit Malik. Amit, I'd like to offer my congratulations. I, this is my first appearance on the new season. Congrats on getting renewed. We weren't sure. It was in limbo. Production was in limbo, but, you know, the friendly directors decided to, to give us another go. Well, it's great to be back, and uh, we have a great show planned. We're going to be talking about Northwestern football to start off, jump into the World Series. Henry here is from Cleveland. I'm sure he'll have plenty of takes once we get to that. And then we'll be jumping into the right side, the Austin Miller side of the uh, Sports Voice After Dark Athlete of the Year bracket. So that should be a, a fun time. Um, and then, of course, lightning round. Henry will be making his debut. This is my third appearance. I don't know if you've heard. I'm 2-0, Henry. Um, they've some, some have called me the greatest lightning round player in Sports Voice After Dark history. I don't know. It's just it's out there. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll get to that. Amit is currently working on the question. So let's jump into uh, Northwestern football. The Cats picked up their third straight victory uh, after beating Indiana on Saturday. Henry, did you watch the game? Yes, I watched the game. All right. That's good for this podcast. Um, what, did you, what, what did you notice from the win? What went right for the Cats uh, in this win against Indiana? You know, uh, it was what really stood out to me was the offensive lines play in the first half. Uh, they protected Thorson very well, um, which also led to some balance on offense. Thorson was able to throw the ball downfield, and then Justin Jackson was able to get some daylight in the running game. Um, so ultimately, they had a good balance on offense. They ran exactly 44 runs and 44 passes. Uh, Thorson had a good day, threw for 280 five yards and three TDs. Uh, ultimately, the, the team slowed down in the second half, but the offense really had uh, sparked the team in the first half. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about the offensive line. For me, that's what really has been the uh, turnaround for this Wildcats uh, in these past three games. They're the unsung heroes. You hear Pat Fitzgerald talk about it in his press conferences every week. They don't get enough recognition, but you see guys stepping up, like J.B. Butler stepping in for a senior captain, Connor Mahoney, on the offensive line. He's been doing a great job. Tommy Doles didn't know he was playing right guard. He was supposed to be a backup tackle heading into this offseason. He did what he had to do to win the job. I thought I think he's done a great job this year. The tackles, Blake Hans and Eric Olson started out a little rough this year. They've really stepped up their game, and they're giving Thorson time to throw. They're giving Jackson holes to run through, and I think that's where we're seeing that balance from. I wanted to touch on one thing that I noticed. Uh, Clayton Thorson, these past three games, you know, one game after another, starting with Iowa, Michigan State, Indiana, uh, Thorson has been incredible, and everyone, he's been getting recognition, but I wanted to just point out the, the, some of these numbers. He is 150 for 295, or no, he is 69 for 108. That is a 64% completion percentage. 730 yards, nine touchdowns, and just one interception, that bad pick six against Michigan State those three games. I want to compare that to last year. His entire season, he only threw for 1,500 yards, seven TDs, and nine interceptions. So he's thrown more touchdowns in these past three games and over half, almost half, of uh, his entire passing yards in just these three games. You're really seeing Clayton Thorson make that jump. And I know you weren't here. I don't know how much you followed Northwestern last season, their season with Thorson. He definitely struggled, didn't look comfortable in that pocket. You're definitely seeing him really start to spread the ball out, and it's looking more like a traditional spread offense, you know, getting more players involved. He's hitting, besides Austin Carr, who's incredible, I'm sure we'll touch on that, Macon Wilson's really stepped up this year, Solomon Vault, Flynn Nagel, um, who am I missing? Uh, Garrett Dickerson's making plays. Um, I feel like I'm missing another receiver, but it's just really remarkable to see Thorson make this jump in his sophomore year, and it really makes you excited 
for his progression and then hopefully what he'll make in his junior and senior year. Yeah, what, I, what I've seen from him is I, I did watch a couple of games last year, and obviously I saw the beginning of this year when he struggled. And clearly he has the arm talent. He's got a really strong arm. But to me it was the accuracy that was really missing there before. And not only was it in terms of incompletions, but a lot of times he was throwing the balls low so receivers could catch it, but then they couldn't run with the ball and things like that. And more recently he's been hitting receivers in stride, and they've been able to make the plays in the open field. The athletes like Austin Carr, who he only had seven catches in the last game, but he had 125 yards because he's able to you know, stretch those out, get the yards after the catch and things like that. And so that's really what I've noticed from Thorson. And part of that comes from that he's getting time uh, from the offensive line, which we mentioned before. He seems more confident, and he's stepping into his throws and really delivering downfield. And he's not turning the ball over. He, other than that one pick six against Michigan State, He's protected the ball well. He's made a lot better decisions with the ball, and that's ultimately led to this outbreak here in his sophomore season. Yeah, and he admitted after that Michigan State game that pick six was totally on him, um, but you haven't seen a lot of those mistakes. And I think part of the credit, too, especially these last three games, has to go to the offensive coordinator, Mick McCall. People... People have been furious with Mick McCall these past several years. He was getting a lot of heat after that Nebraska game. People were calling for his job after this offseason, and you've really seen Mick McCall step it up and transform into this spread attack that we're seeing uh, from Northwestern. Like I said, getting more people involved, getting more yards on first down to set up a second and three, second and short, because last year, if you had watched Northwestern, there were so many third and eights, third and nines, and that's hard, especially for a young quarterback like Thorson to complete a pass like that, but when you have that option on second and three, third and three, you know, second and two, third and two. It, it allows you can run the ball with Justin Jackson. You can take a shot downfield and still be able to convert on a short pass on third down. And I think that's where you're really seeing the offense make make this progress and not just have so many three and outs like they did last year. They're sustaining these long drives. And I think part of that has to be with uh, the yards that they're getting on first down based on uh, th- just new this new spread strategy by Mick McCall. I think you really have to credit uh, him. Yeah, you know, and that spreading the field out really simplifies uh, the game for Thorson as well. You know, when you, when you put four receivers on the field, five receivers on the field, de- defenses have to play basic coverages. They pretty much have to play straight-up man or, or simple zones, and so it really makes it a lot easier for Thorson. And then when they get those completions on early downs, it, it has opened up the running game a little bit uh, for Justin Jackson. Yeah, and because we saw Just- Justin Jackson struggle some of those early games. He's really stepped up his performance. He leads the Big Ten now in rushing yards and that's another thing that I think is just remarkable that seeing this season the amount of Northwestern players who uh, are and are at the top of their their uh, position in the Big Ten you got Justin Jackson you've got Austin Carr who leads in literally every receiving category it's just remarkable on the defensive side which uh, uh, hopefully we can transition to coming up you got a Fadio Denebo who has eight sacks leading the Big Ten seven of which have come in these last three games he's been incredible these uh, past three games to watch and so, yeah, I want to move on now to the second half. You know, we saw uh, Northwestern, they start out the game so strong. They're on pace for nearly 700 total yards of offense. And then they just kind of stall in the second half. And you hear Fitzgerald say on Monday and after the game, it was completely on them. Execution, you know, players weren't making the plays. What did you see in that second half? And do you think it's cause for concern moving forward? You know, I, I do uh, see some cause for concern because I thought it was the offensive line that started to break down a little bit, in the, especially in that third quarter. They gave up a couple of sacks. Thorson was hurried a lot on first and second down, so they weren't getting into those second and short, third and short kind of plays. And then when they ran the ball with Justin Jackson, he was no longer getting holes. A lot of he was getting tackled a lot behind the line, 
and things like that. So there is a little bit of a concern there that they broke down. But there was also, you know, Thorson made a couple of bad throws and uh, a couple of drops by the receivers. So those things they can correct. But uh, I think you really that offensive line needs to be strong going forward for the Wildcats to make a run here at the end of the season. Yeah, and especially in these upcoming games. These next two games are huge for the Wildcats. You've got Ohio State, obviously a huge challenge, one of the top teams in the country. It's going to be tough for the Wildcats. And But even more important than this Ohio State game is going to be this Wisconsin game in two weeks. Uh, again, um, again, hosting the Wisconsin Badgers, 11 a.m. Badgers haven't won in uh, Ryan Field at all in the uh, recently and it's been a kind of a weird trend because Wisconsin's been so good and consistently for some reason they haven't been able to win in Ryan Field but that's a game that depending on what shakes out with Nebraska that game could ultimately decide uh, who wins the Big Ten West championship and no one thought we would be saying that with Northwestern the way that after they started out their season but it is in play if they they can lose this game to Ohio State this week which many are expecting they will and still be able to compete for the Big Ten West championship in this game against Wisconsin. But looking ahead, now let's stay focused on this week against Ohio State. What do you think the Wildcats, do you think the Wildcats have any chance this week against Ohio State, and what would they need to do to keep this game competitive? Yeah, you know, it's actually, it's not that bad of a matchup uh, for Northwestern. Um, you know, one of their weaknesses has been pass defense, but the Buckeyes have really been struggling to throw the ball the last couple weeks with JT Barrett. You know, he was like 9 for 21 against Indiana a couple weeks ago. And so their strength has really been running the ball. Uh, they have one of the best uh, running backs in the country in Mike Weber. Um, they're eighth in overall uh, rushing yards per game. But Northwestern is good on, um, good on run defense, uh, obviously led by Anthony Walker and, and the, that whole front seven. That's really the strength of the Northwestern defense. Uh, and the other thing, though, and that really causes concern for me is the fact that I don't see how Northwestern can move the ball on this Ohio State team. Their secondary has been phenomenal. Malik Hooker and Gary and Conley uh, make up one of the best secondaries in the league. And that offensive line for Northwestern is going to have to hold up against the pass rushers for the Buckeyes. Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa's younger brother, has come in a lot on third downs for the Buckeyes and has been absolutely terrorizing left tackles from some of the best teams in the Big Ten. So Northwestern's really going to have their hands full on that front. Yeah, Nick Bosa is incredible. And Fitzgerald said it yesterday in his press conference. He thinks that Nick Bosa is going to end up being better than Joey. He's just he, it's, he's got all the time in the world to progress. And he, he said that yesterday he thinks Nick Bosa is going to be better than Joey. For me, the, my biggest concern is the Northwestern secondary. I think that they are in danger of getting picked apart by JT Barrett this week. Um, you saw Marcus McShepard come in. He filled in well for Trey Williams. I didn't see a lot of a drop-off from Trey Williams to Marcus McShepard. In fact, I saw uh, McShepard make some plays that personally I don't think Trey Williams would have been able to make um, based on what we've seen from him this year however I'm I'm worried about like you you mentioned North, uh, Ohio State's offensive line I believe and their offensive line is incredible and that's where Northwestern has to be able to uh, con that's where you need to see the front seven step up and get pressure on the quarterback because they're so depleted in their secondary if the quarterback has four or five seconds to sit back in the pocket and make throws it's going to be Tommy Armstrong all over again uh, in this game against Ohio State because the secondary just isn't going to be able to hold out for that long. Ohio State's just too talented, too fast, too athletic to be able to, um, you know, give Barrett four, four or five seconds in the pocket to make a decision. He's eventually going to find someone open. So I think the front seven's going to have their work cut out for them, but it falls on them, in my opinion. They're going to have to be the ones that have get pressure on the quarterback, and they've done a great job these past several weeks. Like I mentioned Odenabo. You've seen Joe Gaziano step up, uh, and this was a big concern for the Wildcats in the first several games. No one knew after losing Dean Lowry, Deontay Gibson, who's going to be 
the guy that steps up and you know gets these sacks for the Wildcats, gets pressure on the quarterback. Turns out it's Odenabo, it looks like. Um, he's going to end up getting some double coverage, I think. So you're going to have to see guys like C.J. Robbins, Gaziano step up. Walker has been incredible. He had his best game of the season, I think, against Indiana. He's really starting to pick up his game after being hurt in the beginning of the year. But for me, I'm really worried about the defense and really worried about that secondary. Yeah, the key there is really going to be finding a, a second pass rusher. Ohio State's probably not going to let Odenabo beat them. Obviously, they've seen the tape. They've seen these last couple of games. So whether it's Gaziano or someone like that, they're going to have to find someone to put pressure on Barrett. You know, the secondary has been a little bit more improved. They only gave up one completion over 20 yards in the last game, but a lot of that had to do, frankly, with Indiana's poor execution r- rather than, you know, Northwestern's stellar secondary play. And, the you know, Ohio State's receivers have been struggling a little bit to separate but if they're given time, they're so athletic that they're probably going to have their way with the Northwestern secondary. I completely agree. I believe the line for this game started out at around 22.5. So what do you think, Henry? Do you think that they, Northwestern is able to cover uh, against Ohio State? And just how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, you know, I see that maybe Northwestern can hang around for a little bit, um, especially if they can get some pass rush. But I actually think this that the line might be even be a little low. I think Ohio State's going to come out mad after last week. Obviously, they lost to Penn State. Uh, the offense sputtered a little bit. Um, I just don't see how Northwestern's going to be able to move the ball and score a lot of points. So I think eventually that defense is going to break down and give up big plays as the game goes along. So I think this could be a blowout, unfortunately, uh, for the Wildcats. Yeah, I've got Ohio State. I have it being a little closer, I think, than the... I think they'll, Northwestern will end up covering, uh, having it be underneath 22.5. Northwestern, there's something about their defense. They... And you've heard Odenabo has said it. Uh, they really like playing on the road for some reason. They like they get fired up by that opposing crowd, those hundreds, hundred thousand fans at the horseshoe, uh, making all that noise. For some reason, that really fires up the defense. And you see them play better against on uh, opposing in these harsh, hostile environments. Um, I'm not so sure how much Clayton Thorson likes it, having to do a silent count every play of the game. But first, I think that this game is going to play out different than a lot of people have it. I think Northwestern keeps it close in the first half something like a 17-13, 17-14 game, Ohio State. They pull away in the second half, end up winning by maybe 17 points. But I I think the Wildcats will be able to keep it closer than than the line has it. So that's my uh, my take on that game. Um, Let's transition now to the World Series. You're from Cleveland. Game one is tonight. By the time you're listening to this, game one will be over. So we're going to be talking about previewing this whole series. We'll talk about game one, but obviously we haven't seen it. So, Henry, as an Indians fan, how are you feeling heading into this World Series? You know, I'm feeling all right. Uh, the Indians have definitely uh, exceeded my expectations, uh, for sure. They were one of the most dominant pitching staffs all year. That's really what they leaned on. But uh, Carras- Carlos Carrasco, their second uh, starter, got hit with a line drive and uh, broke his hand. And Danny Salazar, even though he came to the year as their third starter, was pitching at a Cy Young uh, quality level. And he may or may not be back for this World Series, but uh, he's been out with arm tightness as well. So it's kind of been, uh, they, they came into the playoffs with not a lot of expectations on them, and they've just been dominant. They've kind of retooled their team to, you know, focus more on the bullpen. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, because the Cubs clearly have uh, a, a superior lineup and probably superior starting pitching as well. Yeah, on paper, this clearly favors the Cubs, I would say. Um, I'll admit I haven't followed Cleveland that closely this year. I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, so I'm well aware of the fact that they dominated, the Indians dominated the Tigers this summer um, and ultimately won the AL Central. But the Cubs, I've, I'll admit, I've jumped on their bandwagon uh, along with most of uh, the Northwestern students, I would say, whose their teams have been out. And this, I would say this is the most excited that I've seen people about a World Series 
Uh, it's the most excited I've been about a World Series that hasn't featured the Tigers um, in my entire life. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the Cubs are the, were the best team in baseball this year. The Indians, like you said, have really uh, stepped up their game and exceeded expectations. But I think it's going to be a great series. And Game 1 kicks off tonight. Kluber versus Lester um, should be a great matchup. I think the Cubs clearly have the advantage in rotation, would you say? Correct? Yeah, so, I mean, the Cubs have the best rotation in the major leagues. I mean, between Hendricks, Ariad, and Lester, I think they have a 3.15 ERA combined. I mean, they're they're really strong. Um, it'll be interesting, though, to see uh, how Lester deals with uh, Game 1 tonight. He's famous for obviously not throwing over to first base, and the Indians run a lot. And especially Rajay Davis, who will probably be in the lineup tonight, um, He's a right-hander uh, in the outfield who only normally plays against left-handed pitchers. He was one of the top. Uh, he was one of the top stealers um, in the AL this year, and the Indians in general run a lot. So it'll be interesting to see how the Cubs kind of mentally deal with that uh, throughout the series, really, because the Indians are going to run pretty much all the time. Yeah, I have it right here. Cleveland led the AL in stolen bases, 134 and 81% stolen base percentage for the Indians, which is incredible. Um, and the Cubs catchers, I would say, aren't aren't the best defensive catchers you got david ross you got wilson Contreras. they're i would say average maybe a little below average um in terms of major league catchers um and like you said lester doesn't throw over to first a lot so i think the big story for or like the big matchup you're gonna have to be looking at is gonna be the cubs power against the indian speed because the indians that's how they score that's how they score runs you see them get on base and they terrorize you on the base pass you got guys like rajay davis jose ramirez um who am i missing tyler tyler naquin uh lindor will steal bases lindor as well. has been incredible um and with with the cubs you have guys like chris bryant anthony rizzo uh ben zobris they're the cubs are going to be able to the cubs really make their um living off of hitting home runs i would say they had a really low average in this past uh, nlcs but you see players come through when they need to addison russell and anthony rizzo in those last two games five and six really stepped up um so i think that's where you're going to see the biggest difference in play and that's what makes it such a unique series but uh also with the cubs bullpen you, or the cubs rotation you mentioned best in baseball lester game one arietta game two Hendricks game three it's really a pick your poison with any of those three guys um how do you see the indians being able to attack the uh Cubs rotation in these first three games? Yeah, I mean, the Indians really, uh, they're fifth in scoring runs in the league, but it's not because they hit a lot of home runs or do a lot. They have Mike Napoli, who hits a lot of home runs, but other than that, it's mostly through stealing bases, bunts, things like that. So the only way they're really going to be able to get to this Cubs pitching staff is to frustrate them with those little things, like bunting guys over, uh, stealing bases. They're one of the best teams at actually going from second base to home. Uh, in the entire, they're actually the best team from going from second to home, and they're going to have to rely on their crowd and really get the mental advantage early. Uh, you talked about uh, the Cubs being below average against uh, good running teams, and they actually are. They they allow a successful steal seventy seven percent of the time, where uh, the major league average is just seventy two percent of the time. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get in the pitchers' heads. They also steal third base the most of any team in the major leagues. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because just from a pure hitting standpoint, it, the matchup seems to clearly favor the Cubs' rotation. So it sounds like you're saying for Cleveland to win, their key is definitely going to be speed and getting to that Cubs bullpen through kind of cre- creative ways on the on the base path. For the Cubs, what they need to do to win, tell me if you're tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think it has to be getting to the pitchers early, getting to this rotation early because when you get Andrew Miller, Cody Allen late in the games, they were incredible and they helped make up for this Cleveland offense. I think they hit one. 186 in the ALCS so the bats weren't always there 
but it was so hard to score runs against them. You saw them silence a Toronto offense that looked nearly unstoppable against the Texas Rangers. And the Cubs offense, obviously the best in baseball. And I think that the for the Cubs, the big key has to be getting to the Cleveland rotation early. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, obviously Cleveland's kind of going to be searching for starters behind Corey Kluber. Uh, you know, Bauer has that, that injury where he cut his hand on a drone and he was bleeding profusely in uh, the last series. That Tomlin was actually out of the rotation as late as September. And he really just came in kind of as, to, as a patchwork guy. Uh, Ryan Merritt threw 11 innings all regular season. So the Indians really are struggling in terms of their starters, but they've had the lead every time Andrew Miller has come in and, Corey, uh, and Cody Allen, excuse me. And those guys really shut it down. So the key for the Cubs is going to be get those starters out early and get a lead. And then Andrew Miller is going to be pitching when the Indians are trailing instead of when they're ahead. And uh, that'll, that'll give the Cubs also a mental advantage. And we talked about having a mental advantage in terms of the, the Cubs pitching versus the Indians running. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out um, on the other side. The Cubs uh, are one of the best teams at hitting fastballs. They're fourth in the major leagues in hitting fastballs, but they're 18th against curveballs. You saw that against the Dodgers, um, that they struggled hitting uh, Kershaw and um, who's the other pitcher? Uh, Richel. Richel, yeah. Um, and so the, and the Indians, just with the Blue Jays, did the exact same thing. They Mike uh, Tomlin and Corey Kluber pounded them with curveballs. So it's really going to be a lot about the Cubs' uh, mental state. Are they going to be able to stay patient on those curveballs, go to the opposite field? Uh, things like that. So I think that'll really be uh, another key you see throughout the series. And it almost seems like if, if you kind of see the NL the NL team seems more favored for AL ball, and the uh, AL team seems more favored for NL ball. You mentioned the Indians are going to be the guys that bunt the bunt the runner over and try to win these low scoring games and get get to them with your uh, bullpen. Whereas the Cubs have these horses on the mound who can go seven eight innings. We saw it with Hendricks in Game Six, and you'll see it tonight. You know they the Cubs get that DH. They're adding Schwarber to the lineup even after. Missing the, nearly, he's missed almost the entire season. Coming in, DHing tonight, it'll be really interesting to see what Schwarber is able, if he's able to bring anything to the lineup, how long he stays in. I was shocked to see him in the lineup. Um, I'm sure we'll hear a lot of uh, comparisons now to uh, this this Kurt Kurt Gibson pinch hitting in the uh, yes. in the '80s for uh, when he came in injured after being hurt almost the entire season. Uh, we'll look forward to that from Joe Buck. But I, I think that is uh, one thing that's interesting is that the Cubs are just. You know, they have these pitchers that can go forever, and when you add this DH, you know, you don't have to necessarily worry about when, when are you going to get your pitcher out of this game, you know, when you need a good bat in the lineup. Uh, one thing I found interesting about uh, this series. Yeah, and, you know, uh, the last thing I'd say that's kind of a storyline I haven't heard tons of people talking about is, you know, the, the Cubs obviously had a huge representation in the All-Star game, and they lost, the NL ultimately lost that All-Star game, and uh, the AL has home field advantage now. And it'll be interesting to see if that actually comes back to bite Cubs fans who mm-hmm. voted for their players. Because the series may really you know, hinge on that and the mental uh, part of the game. With Kluber going against Leicester tonight, it looks like it's a kind of a matchup that favors the Indians. They get out to that 1-0 lead, and then the Cubs are going to feel a lot of pressure to win Game 2, even though they should have a superior pitcher on the mound. You wonder if that pressure starts to get to them, um, and it whether or not they you know drop that game two going before they go home and so a lot of this series looks like it could hinge on those first two games so it'll be interesting to see if the Indians can get out to that 1-0 lead and how the Cubs fare uh, away from home yeah I'm glad you mentioned the all-star game because that's one other thing I wanted to talk about which is the this whole concept of the all-star game the home team getting to 
be determined by the winner which conference won it. I'm I, I'm not a huge like baseball diehard. I, I follow my teams and uh, so I don't know how what the rest of like these diehard fans feel how they feel about it. Um, whether there's a lot of anger about the fact that the Cubs won 103 games in the regular season and they're not getting to host or they they don't have home field advantage game seven could potentially be in cleveland for me i think that i have no problem with the all-star game being determined by the winner of uh or like having the all-star game winner determine who has home field advantage i do have a problem with the all-star game lineups being decided by the fan vote because i think you mentioned there was a lot of cub starters but i think it really comes back to bite i I think if you're gonna put such high stakes on this all-star game it really should be determined by uh the experts voting not the fans you know not having the fans vote all one team and the most passionate fan base has the upper hand. I think if that ends up coming into play in Game 7, I really hope they end up changing that for future All-Star games because I have it makes the All-Star game more interesting, home field advantage being in play. However, I don't think it should be determined by fan vote. I think that's the one caveat I would change to that rule. Have the experts decide the starting lineups if they're going to put such high stakes on it. Yeah, you know, I, I absolutely agree with that. You can see the argu- both arguments for the All-Star game. On one hand, obviously, you're placing significance <laughs> on a game that in other leagues doesn't really have a lot of significance, and it's this like one-game mishmash of players and all of that. But on the other hand, it does make it more exciting. It actually makes it worth something, so people pay attention to it. But I agree. I, I don't see any reason why the fans should be voting for the players. I mean, yes, it engages the fans, but for the mo- they're determining something that's actually relevant. It's not like the NBA All-Star game, where those players are just getting in there for fun and to, like, put on a highlight show basically Mm -hmm. this actually means something and could play a huge factor in the world series if it goes to game seven uh, because even game six because the indians will have those at home as opposed to the cubs so yeah and it's happened this is not the first time a team has had probably over representation in the all-star game the kansas city royals had the same thing happen and you just wonder if that'll get changed uh, as a result of the series. I really hope it does. And uh, so now I want to move forward. We're gonna one last thing I want to do with this World Series is get your prediction on the game. How do you see it playing? Not on the game, on the whole series. How do you see it playing out? And uh, who ultimately wins the World Series? You know, basically everything points to the Cubs winning the World Series. They have the deeper lineup. They have the better pitching staff. But Cleveland is the city of champions, and they've just been out on this magical run right now. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Cleveland in Game Seven, uh, upsetting the Cubs on a walk off in the bottom of the ninth of Game Seven. Uh, The Cubs fans will regret their decision to vote all of their players into the All Star Game, and they will have to wait one more year to win the World Series. Wow, Amit, you want to make a pick? Uh, As an employee of the Chicago Cubs, I don't know if I'm allowed to. <laughs> Cubs in six. <laughs> I'm having. I have uh, Cubs in five. I think. I think I'm gonna draw a parallel to a World Series that uh, has a great emotional meaning to me. Unfortunately, not in a positive way. The 2012 World Series, where the Tigers got swept by the San Francisco Giants. In that series, the Tigers came in. They took care of business in the ALCS, had a ton of downtime, and uh, the Giants really came in and they had the more competitive edge because they really had to battle in the NLCS. And that's one thing that I think is, could come into play. The Indians have had, what, a week off now since their last game? Six days. Six days off. The Cubs had to fight in that series. They were down 2-1. It looked bleak. If you're a Cubs fans everywhere, are the most pessimistic fans, in my opinion. They're, I live... I. I've just that, I, that's one thing I've experienced. They're the most passionate fans, but they're also pessimistic. I guess that comes with 108 years of not winning the World Series. But when they were down 2-1, I heard a lot of people uh, crying for the worst. They come back. They had to battle for it, and I think that's one thing. Also, the fact that the Cubs have the best team on paper. I have it Cubs in five. I think uh, that's how it plays out. So 
Now we're going to move on to the Sports Voice After Dark Athlete of the Year bracket. Amit, you want to jump in and explain the uh, just the rules of the bracket, <coughs> what we're going to be doing? Well, basically, we decided that at Sports Voice After Dark, we have the power to determine who our favorite athlete of the year is. And that doesn't mean the best athlete of the year. It means whoever embodies the ideals of Sports Voice After Dark. So we're looking for athletes that are wacky, fun, and sub-legitimate. You know, being good at your sport helps a little, but it's not the end goal here. If it was that, we could have just picked, you know, LeBron James, Serena Williams. Aaron Rodgers. No. Landon Donovan. <laughs> well, we He's might actually pick Landon Donovan. We'll get to so. him. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, it's just for fun. And we went through the first half of the bracket uh, two weeks ago. Uh, if you're listening, there will be a bracket attached to this post, and you can follow along and make your own picks. Maybe do some bracketology with Joe Lunardi of Sports West After Dark. <laughs> um, if not, you know, we have our expert opinion. So let's get it started with the first matchup, the 1 versus 16 of the Austin Miller side of the bracket. We have Sports Voice After Dark icon Landon Donovan versus Cubs pitcher who will be playing pitching in game two, most likely. Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, I'll take this. I'll take this first. I have Landon Donovan. I don't think this should be more than just 20 seconds of analysis. He's the only soccer, one of the only soccer players I know. Just an icon, as you mentioned, for the sports voice after dark. You know, he's really gotten us to where we're at, I would say. Uh, Matt McHugh has used him, I know, probably eight to ten times in pick questions, all of which related to soccer that he was not re- a part of. Lightning round questions. Yeah, light, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Lightning round questions, all of which Landon was not a part of. He's... He's an icon. He's a powerhouse. He wins this one easily, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not even sure why Kyle Hendricks is really on this, uh, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) He's he's Uh, actually good. I think whoever suggested him, uh, I'll go and check. Um, It might. Let me let me just search this really quick. I could probably find. Hendricks is a great player. He's had a great year, and he's done a lot for the Cubs. However. He doesn't really fit the mold, I would say, of what we're looking for in a sports voice after dark. Uh, Ryan Ryan Wangman, freshman. we appreciate the suggestion of Kyle Hendricks. Maybe just miss the, the sports voice after dark part of it. Surely a great nomination for any other uh, bracket of good sure, athletes. Go this Cubs year. go. Yeah, yeah we'll go be Cubs rooting go. for them. Just, but uh, uh, Landon wins this mark one. Here. Landon with wins. Ease. Some of us will be rooting. For <laughs> 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 Moving Landon on. Landon Donovan moves on. Yeah, yeah. Landon on. Donovan is definitely the clear choice, I think. Moving on, our two versus 15 matchup. This will have a lot. We're on the Austin Miller side of the bracket. Austin Miller, personally, will have a lot invested in this matchup. We have Nick Swaggy P. Young as the two seed versus Dennis, the 15. Denise. I know I'm saying that wrong, and I'm doing it on purpose, but i got to say I looked at this, and I had no idea who Dennis, Denise, whatever his name is, was, um, mostly because I, I don't follow soccer at all. The only soccer play I know just advanced in this bracket, but... For me, it has to be Swaggy P. Swaggy P is hilarious to watch on the court. Some say his time has passed. However, he's he's a legend. He throws up shots that he's not supposed to. He doesn't get along with his teammates. You had the whole D'Angelo Russell scandal last year. Uh, Swaggy P is hilarious, and I think I love watching him play, even though he's objectively awful and, and by NBA standards. I, I'm going to go with Swaggy P. I don't think I'm going to win this one, considering I'm sitting by two soccer fans, but I'm picking Swaggy P. Yeah, I'm going to wholeheartedly disagree with you on this one. Swaggy P is just so average. He's just like your classic athlete. 
you know, che- cheats on his uh, fiance. You know. Wow. <laughs> let's not let's not categorize all the athletes that way. <laughs> he, uh, you know, doesn't get along with his teammates. Classic LA guy. You know, every wow. <laughs> editor just taking shots at large populations here. <laughs> so if you're yeah. an athlete listening to this. Let's just get this out there. Sports Wars After Dark does not <laughs> does not have anything yeah, against athletes or the Los Angeles community. No, we, we, we just have hot takes. We just have hot takes. We're full of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I don't... This should be a clear upset. Denise, when you Google him, you can't even get a Wikipedia page on him. M- much he's of the reason why I had no analysis for him, because I literally have no idea who this guy is. He's that sublegitimate. He's a keeper. They're always crazy. Um, you know, he's... I couldn't... I thought he was an Argentinian striker because that's the only thing that comes up when you Google him. He is so sublegitimate. He really he embodies the sports boys after dark character very well. Um, I think it, I don't see how you go with Swaggy P over Denise. I think Denise is a clear choice for the upset on this one. You know, I don't want to let my soccer bias get in the way. Or the fact that our sports director came in before the show and threatened <laughs> yeah, you yeah, we'll, with this we'll the state sh- of this hey, podcast. We'll, we'll I'm edit, throwing it out there. We'll edit that. We'll edit that out. <laughs> uh, I just I feel like Swaggy P is too much like J.R. Smith. Um, He's better, some uh, would say. He might be. What so. seed is J.R. Smith? J.R. Smith is a one seed. Oh, well, advanced pretty easily, well, and so tattoos and shirts. Uh, I'm yeah. worried that Swaggy <laughs> P would just meet up with J.R. Smith, and you know I got to protect Landon Donovan, and I'm gonna go with Denise because you know there's no other soccer goalkeepers here. So it's fine. I hate to say Swaggy P, you know maybe you got a tough matchup, so. Unfortunately, you will not be moving on. Yeah, well, I won't fight it that hard because, like I I'm really invested in this next matchup we have. Number three seed Joey, Joey Julius against the severely underranked Frank Kaminsky. Now, Frank Kaminsky, I nominated. Full disclosure, I have a Frank Kaminsky poster in my room. Amit can confirm. Can confirm. Frank Kaminsky is one of my favorite athletes of all time. He's the definition of just a goon when it comes to... He wore a Steve Bartman jersey. Uh, he's a diehard White Sox fan. He wore a Bartman jersey last week when he played at the United Center. He, does, he loves to just do things that professional athletes normally don't do. He's a child on the inside. He's also really good at what he does, uh, more so in college. NBA, he hasn't had his chance to blossom yet the, under the Charlotte Hornets, but I'm holding out hope. However, I think that this has to be Frank Kaminsky. He, his teammates in college always used to get on him for being bad at FIFA. That's something we do with Amit all the time. I, think, I hope Amit has that kind of connection to him, but I'm really hoping that Frank Kaminsky can pull this one out because he really embodies, I think, what Sports Boys After Dark is all about. Yeah, you know, this was a tough matchup for me, to be honest. <clears throat> I can see um, you know, your logic behind Frank Kaminsky, but I did go with Joey Julius just slightly edging out um, Kaminsky. Uh, Julius, uh, the Penn State uh, a kicker, uh, mostly because of his ability to deliver hits. You know, you just haven't seen that out of a kicker, much like you just haven't seen a podcast like Sports Voice After Dark <laughs> before. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. So he really embodies what Sportsways After Dark is all about. Uh, he's definitely wacky. Uh, I'm not even sure if he's a good kicker or not, to be honest. I, you literally only see <laughs> him no either get, hit people or get cheap, like get hit by other Big yeah. Ten teams. Uh, I have no problem with Joey Julius. I think that Frank Kaminsky's just really underrated and uh, in this bracket. And I think you know that could end up hurting Julius. We'll admit. We'll go to you with a tie break. Um, both of you made really compelling arguments that spoke to me. Henry saying that Joey Julius, you know, embodies sports was after dark. But Zach also embodying to me as a FIFA player that, you know, Frank gets a lot of crap from his, uh, his friends, you know. That he threw say, a water bottle once in a press conference because Sam Decker said he was the fourth best FIFA player on the team. I think 
That I've I personally. Mean, I don't want to pander too much to myself as the creator of this podcast, but I will. <laughs> um, you know, Joey Julius. You know, I I think it's really good the hitting that he does, the hits that he takes, but I feel like he's a little one dimensional. So yeah. we're gonna go with Frank Kaminsky <laughs> just because God. of the breadth and depth of his character. I love it. I love the I love the argument why. I'm very happy to see Frank Kaminsky advance. Moving on to this next one, Nicholas Bentner, Bentner. Lord Nicholas Bentner. Sure. Is he? I'm assuming he's a soccer player because I have no earthly is, idea who he, he, he is. He is. He's basing Case Keenum, however, and that's why I'm gonna have to go with uh, Sir Nicholas because <laughs> I have, as much as I don't know who this man is, Case Keenum is objectively awful at what he does. He's just an awful quarterback, and I I don't condone Chase Case Keenum being in this bracket in the first place, nor do I condone him advancing to the next round. I, I think that it has to be this Sir Nicholas dude. Uh, Henry, hoping you can tell me more about him, and hopefully you pick him as well. Yeah, you know, to me he's the clear choice because of his hair. He has a great, like, blonde ponytail thing he kind of does. I don't know, he puts it on top of his head. I'm not really sure what's going on with it. But to me, in order to be considered a legitimate soccer player, you have to have a hairdo that's uh, out of the ordinary. And so I think that really <laughs> that really separates him. Case Keenum, I mean, we don't want to be associated with Case Keenum no. in any way. He is solely there as a like part-time placeholder for someone who doesn't even know where the sun sets. <laughs> so <laughs> that is not what Sportsways After Dark represents at all. He is beyond sub-legitimate. He's just terrible and probably shouldn't even be in the NFL I, anymore. I don't even know what Case Keenum is personality. Is he quirky? Like, is he... what? Why is Case Keenum in this bracket? I don't... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I will say this about Case Keenum. Uh, he's definitely losing, for sure. <laughs> but um, I, was, <laughs> I was extremely happy, or I was disappointed. I was rooting for the Rams to beat the Giants as an Eagles fan. And Case Keenum was down one touchdown for all the fourth quarter and had three drives to potentially win the game, or tie the game, sorry. And uh, on three drives, he threw two interceptions, two of which were in the end zone. Yes, and no Rams receiver was near the <laughs> no, Giants secondary I, when he threw this interception. It was thrown right to them. Great throw to the Giants secondary. But so, Case Keenum. Case Keenum's out. Should not have been a be, third. Thanks for being bad. <laughs> Thank you. I honestly feel like, just like yeah, on the field, Jared Goff would have been better for this bracket than yeah. Case Keenum. <laughs> this is being a number one pick who, like, for some reason, doesn't play in these any of these games over Case Keenum. I don't know. Moving on, we've got Yasiel Puig against the 12 seed, Draymond Green. Um, Amit, I helped, Amit was a little short on people in this bracket once uh, he got all the preps in, so I helped him fill in. I made some suggestions. Draymond Green was one of my suggestions. Uh, I, I'm a big Big Ten basketball fan. You heard me talk about Frank Kaminsky. I live in Michigan, go to a lot of Michigan State games. I saw Draymond Green play in college. So I'm one of the few that have really kind of held on to that devotion. He's one of the villains, I would say, in the N uh, NBA. I love Draymond Green. I've got a Draymond Green jersey, just mostly to aggravate uh, Warriors haters like uh, our producer Mitt Malik. But Draymond Green is great. He he literally just gets under everybody's skin. He's the alpha dog of the of the Warriors team. Really kind of gives them their courage. And uh, he's also uh, the fact that he can be a six seven forward who also can step in at center and be one of the best defenders in the NBA. I think is great. Kind of shows that underdog mentality, which I think. Sports Voice After Dark really embodies. Uh, so I got to go with Draymond Green over Yasiel Puig. Yeah, I'm not, you know, Yasiel Puig speaks Spanish, so, I, you know, I really don't know much about his character. Uh, I mean, he doesn't show up to batting practice. Like, that's about all I have to go on. <laughs> he gets fights. fights. Yeah, he with fights Madison, Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's kind of just like, and he's kind of falling off the map, too, uh, where, you know, Draymond Green's just plugging along right in the heart of everything. You know, he's almost too legitimate uh, to be as part of this bracket. 
But, you know, uh, as a Cavs fan, I can certainly knock him uh, for just not being that good and being overrated. So that's fine. So he can fit in for me. And even his shooting form. I mean, like, the way he so shoots ridiculous. threes is, like, uncomfortable to watch. But, you know, it, it works. It mm-hmm. goes in. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think that that embodies this podcast well enough. A little uncomfortable sometimes. But uh, it works. Gets the job done. So, yeah. I guess work. Draymond Green has to advance. You I'm know. sure Mitt loves this. You know, I don't I don't love it. But, to be fair, I think he's a better choice here than Yasuo Puig. Yeah. It's fun. Puig, your friend. But... Tweaked out, so. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, number six, Jermaine Defoe, also assuming soccer player here. Tottenham legend. Tottenham legend. Was this in a mitt suggestion, or was uh, this someone else? I'm pretty sure I put in okay. Jermaine Defoe. Okay. Um, against, as I mentioned, Michigan State really representing this side of the bracket, Denzel Valentine, the heart and soul of the Michigan State team for probably the last two years. Uh, third year, you know, he was good, but he had Adrian Payne in his way and uh, Gary Harris, so then he really stepped up. And I, like I said, I've been to a ton of Michigan State games. Amit and I, one story I wanted to tell, I'm picking Denzel Valentine, but Amit and I went to the United Center last year for the Champions Classic. And uh, we got to sit, thanks to some Kentucky fans who left early, we got to sit really close to the action and hear Tom Izzo yelling. And I can confirm, Tom Izzo yells at Denzel Valentine, yelled at Denzel Valentine for approximately 35 of the 40 minutes. Just because Denzel, as great as he is, he's the son of a basketball coach, doesn't always use his head. Uh, in terms of like what the best basketball decision is. He loves to shoot. Uh, he loves the heat check threes, which I think we are big fans of here at Sports Waste After Dark. He loves taking heat checks, even if it's four or five feet behind the three-point line. Sometimes they go into. Denzel is really fun to watch. I love that he's in Chicago now. Uh, he's going to be the shooter on this Bulls team. Him and Doug McDermott, I think, are going to be some of the only guys on the team who can consistently make three-point, uh, three-pointers. And I'm excited to see what Denzel has to do. I'm picking him. Yeah, I'm going to go with him, uh, too. Uh, Jermaine Defoe, a little bit, probably too legitimate uh, anyway. Plus, I don't know much about him. Um, and, you know, Denzel Valentine is a dark horse for uh, for stories later on in the year. You know, got a, a locker room with uh, Rajon Rondo in it, Wade and Butler. Uh, he could be right in the thick of that um, moving forward. So I'm really going to put him through based on his potential, really, rather than what he's done to this point so far. Though I think he's got a tough matchup. Uh, coming up probably against Frank Kaminsky. But we'll put him through and uh, see what he can do here. Well, he'll be facing Nicholas Bentner, four versus five. So we'll see. Oh, no, 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 no. 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 Sorry, I'm I'm wrong. I was looking at Draymond. You're correct. Frank Kaminsky versus Denzel. I'm so thrilled that it's those two guys. I just like to point that out. Nice Big Ten matchup. Nice Big Ten (laughs) matchup. And the fact that one of them is going to end up moving on and being in the uh, Elite Eight is is a great thing. Moving on, uh, we got to be a little quick on these last two right no we're good you're okay. good take your time you know we'll just we'll lightning the lightning round okay that's what we do best uh seven seed hal robinson cano hal robson canoe <laughs> hal robson canoe i i think i said that but no no i did okay. well i'll throw this out there he's my he's my one of my favorite players of all time because he was not on a team this summer he was released from his contract at the end of the year by Blackburn Rovers and went to play for the Wales national team despite not having a club and scored in the Euro quarterfinals against Belgium to help Wales win the game. And then now he's on West Brom and he currently does not play. How Robson Canu is really bad at soccer but scored in a really important time and, you know, he wasn't even on a team. He's, he's really, he's got one quality, he's kind of fast and that's about it. Uh, in case you're wondering, he's a 67 overall in FIFA. That's how bad we're talking about here with this man who scored a goal in the quarterfinals of Euro 2016. Well, on the topic of sports video games, I can confirm Gerald Green is one of the greatest players in NBA 2K history. This is true. We played with him last year. He 
is an example of someone who is just ter- not terrible, not good, below average in the NBA, but incredible in NBA 2K, 2K16 last year. We have yet to really dive deep into him in 2K17. However, in 2K16, he will literally dunk on anybody. He plays lockdown defense. He's cash from behind the three-point line. And I think the embodiment of someone who's really good in a video game, but not so good in uh, real life, that's why I got to move Gerald Green on. Plus, I have no idea who Hal Robson Canoe is. So in the, sp- in the spirit of me picking in against soccer, the soccer players, I'm picking Gerald Green. Yeah, you know, I it's not, I always respect the, the players that play for Wales. Um, <laughs> just because, you know, they're, they're just fail. not England. And I feel bad for them just because they're in Britain, but they're just in the sub- legitimate part of Britain in terms of soccer. So I really respect them for, you know, especially with their country's national pride. Like, that's all good. Except Gerald Green was, I'm pretty sure he was the dude who blew out the cupcake in the dunk contest that one year. Was that Gerald Green? And that was one of my favorite (laughs) moments ever in any dunk contest, or really any all-star thing of any kind. So I think I'm going to have to go with him. Yeah, it looks like it was. I don't even think he won, which is just highway robbery. Because he blew out a cupcake and then dunked. Like, that is amazing. That's incredible. Um, So, yeah, I think that, you know, I think he's got to move on for me. I love it. Gerald Green moves on. Moving on to our last matchup now. Chris Anderson as the eighth seed against Mitch Leidner as the ninth seed. Um, Similar to Case Keenum, I have no idea why Mitch Leidner is in this bracket. (laughs) He's the Minnesota uh, Golden Gophers quarterback. He was projected to be a first-round draft pick by some, I think, heading into this year, which makes which made no sense to anybody. Since then, I think his performance has brought him down on some of those charts, but it was a perfect example of someone being completely overhyped just based on, the, like, their frame. The, like, he has the QB frame, some said. Um, he's not very good. I'm going with Chris Anderson Birdman. I think Birdman, another great example of just kind of that wild, on-court personality. Um and yes, I'm I'm gonna go with Birdman over this more because I didn't want to pick Mitch Leidner. Yeah, yeah, you know, in all in full disclosure, Birdman was uh my contribution okay. to this bracket. You know, the reason I love him one, he's a Cavalier now, but more importantly, uh, he he's just got such tremendous versatility. You know, he's obviously got the tattoos uh, basically everywhere in lots of colors. You know, his hair changes. He's even gone with some facial hair mm-hmm. gone. He's gone thick with that. He's trimmed it back on thin. He's gone with that, like, spiky mohawk thing while shaving off the sides. He's gone with a little, like, strip of hair, different colors. You know, you just got to appreciate that kind of versatility. And uh, that's what really uh, turned me on to him. That's why I think he's going to go far, a long way in this bracket. Well, we'll see. He has Landon Donovan coming up in the next round. Uh, we'll see if he can put up some sort of fight against uh, the powerhouse that is Landon Donovan. But So that's our that's the... Uh, this segment of the Sports Voice After Dark Athlete of the Year bracket. We'll be sure to continue this bracket uh, with later uh, later podcasts in the future and eventually crown our champion. But now let's move on to the lightning round. So we got lightning round for you. You know, if you haven't listened before, you don't know what it is. Very, very quick refresher. It's ten questions for each player. Uh, they increase in difficulty. Three easy questions worth a point. Three medium questions worth two points. Three hard questions worth three points. And a Philly sports special that is worth four points if you get it right. Zach Wingrove is the current record record holder for largest margin of victory on Sports Voice after dark. Uh, not sure if that's a reflection on him or on Chris Grismer. We'll leave that for you to decide how good Zach really is. Um, I think this is a relatively easy set of lightning round questions. Um, maybe it's not. I don't know. This was pieced together pretty late. Busy, busy week for, for me, but... Let's get it on pretty quickly. We're gonna we're gonna speed through this one. Rock paper scissors shoot to decide who goes when. Okay. 
Uh, Henry Edinger goes rock three times in a row. <laughs> <gets> the win. <laughs> Moral victory. Henry, would you like to go first or second? In the second set, there's a rapper question. In the first set, there's a Landon Donovan question. I will go first. All right, oh, going first. He's taking the ball. <clears throat> All right. So, number one question, who notably is not starting game one of the World Series for the Cubs after a 2 of 26 effort so far in the playoffs? Jason Hayward. That is correct. Number two, who upset number 16 ranked Houston on Saturday in college football? SMU. That is correct. Wow. Who knocked off the undefeated Vikings on Sunday in the NFL? The Eagles. All right, so three for three. Easy, easy. That was easy. Uh, medium questions, who defeated Manchester United in the Premier League this weekend 4-0? to zero? Chelsea. That is correct. We're at five points. Wow. Like I said, this is an easy set. Inflated wow. numbers. Next medium question, which two kickers missed field goals in overtime on Sunday night in an what NFC West matchup? Catanzaro, uh, I'm not sure how to say That's his name. That's correct. And That's one. That is correct. All right. So four medium. Now we're at seven. Next medium question. You might know this one. Uh, who are the defending champion Cleveland Cavaliers opening their NBA season against on Tuesday night? Uh, the New York Knicks. A very easy Nine set. points. All right, <laughs> now the hard questions. Uh, which Flames player and former Canes player scored the only goal in seven rounds of a shootout in the win for Calgary over the Blackhawks? Uh, uh, Eric Stahl. Good guess. Good guess. Uh, Christopher Stieg. Uh, next hard question. Sure. <laughs> Which tennis player ended a 33-month playoff drought with a win at the Stockholm Open this weekend? Uh, There's a reason why he hasn't won in 33 months, if you know anything about tennis. 33 months. Uh, He's been injured for the last two years. Yeah, I'm, try I'm trying to think. I have no clue. All right. yeah. It's Juan Martin Del Potro. Oh, uh, okay. Next hard question. Land the Donovan question of the week. Land the Donovan, the LA Galaxy, tied with which team on the final day of the MLS season? That team went on to win the Supporter Shield. Seattle Sounders. Good guess. FC Dallas. So nine uh, points. Here's the Philly Sports Special. Who scored twice for the Philadelphia Flyers as they beat the Carolina Hurricanes on Saturday? Jake Voracek. That is correct. I, oh, I studied that one. 13 points. Wow. For Henry Is Edinger. that the record? Is it that might Goran's be the record. record? There might be an asterisk because it was pretty easy. That yeah. ties the record for Ben Gorin. Well done, Henry Edinger. Well, good that, job that getting that Philly Sports Special. <laughs> yes, good guess. I only, I only so knew him. 13 the, points for Zach Wingrove. <laughs> you have, I think you have a decent chance, although the last two hard questions are pretty hard. All right. All right, so who ran for 248 yards and three touchdowns for LSU in a win over Ole Miss? Leonard Fournette. That is correct. Easy. Which Cubs player returned to the World Series roster after missing most of the season? Kyle Schwarber. All right. Who beat the Redskins on a touchdown pass with 16 seconds left in the NFL on Sunday? The Detroit Lions. I know. You love the Lions. Um, nope. <laughs> who defeated, I believe this was Texas Tech, uh, in a crazy Oklahoma. matchup? 66 to 59. 700 passing yards allowed. Great job. All right, that is correct. See, this is, like you said, this is easy, but All it's right. easy for I'm everyone. I'm not as mad, yeah. Next medium question. This, this, this is a make or break. Maybe you need this one. Who scored two goals for the Islanders to help them beat the oh, Wild God. on Sunday? Uh, Tavares. That is correct. Shout out Chris Grismer for the only Islanders fan Next I know. Next medium only question. Player. Who became the sixth Browns quarterback to throw a pass this season in a loss against the Bengals? Oh, uh, uh, Kevin Hogan. That is correct. So Browns. now you're at nine <laughs> points. You need one of these. One of these to get to twelve. Philly Sports to tie. Oh, he has thirteen. He has That's thirteen. Right. Okay. All right. So here you go. 
the Lakers cut which player that signed an eight million one year deal at the beginning of the year? Yi Jin Lan. That is correct. Yes. So now you're at twelve. Any one of these will get you the what? win. And <laughs> here is the hard question that I know you do not know. <laughs> Which American talent scored a 90th minute equalizer for Borussia Dortmund against <laughs> oh, FC Ingolstadt in the Bundesliga on Saturday? If you know anything about soccer, you know it, but you don't. <laughs> I want to say Landon Donovan, but I don't think that'll be a competitive he's, answer. He's so I'm going to say 18 years old. Oh shoot, you've just told me it. I'll guess. Uh, Josie Altador. Good guess. He's no, not 18. This is Christian Pulisic. Okay. All right, yeah, so you have two chances. Holding off for this rapper question. The rapper question, you might know this. Okay. For the win, which Listen. multiple Grammy Award-winning artist based out of Atlanta partnered with Fox Sports oh, yes! to promote the Atlanta Hawks on TV? Yes, T.I. That is correct. Shout out to T.I. No, he's a terrible for person. Zach Wingrove. Philly Sports Special to give you 19. Wow. Who will the Philadelphia Union face in the first round of the MLS playoffs? Uh, oh, uh, Toronto FC. That is correct. Yes. It was an easy set of questions for both <laughs> players. I did my research, um, to be fair. Law and Society, um, I really put it Henry Edinger, on any other week, you would have set a record. So there is no shame in losing this. We were to, dialed to in listeners who did are you mad. Miss a question? I missed uh, the U.S. soccer player. Oh, yeah. Um, for listeners that are mad at the easiness of this set of questions, I say to you, I don't know. I don't give care. Me, give me less work to do on the weekends. You can't. It, it's hard to scheme around. I mean, Henry, he had a great performance coming out this first game. I don't want to yeah. sound. We both, I thought, like studied up for this, did well. I those last questions, like I wouldn't have known had I not. You know, yeah, done a Zach. Bit of Zach studies for the rapper question <laughs> of the week. That's why he was very happy to go second. Because very much so. There's it's, only a few things that rappers could do to make the sports news world. There's maybe one or two <laughs> pieces of rap news in sports per week, and Zach. Happened to find the one that I found. I narrowed down it was either going to be that or the fact that uh, Scotty Pippen's wife cheated on him with Future. That that was that was considered, but we decided to keep it PG for the podcast. Well, I'm glad I just sadly said it. Zach, you know, <laughs> when it made it PG 13. Thanks Zach. Hey, uh, this was from L A. L A. is getting oh, oh wow. L A. is taking shots. Uh, Henry Andrew taking shots. Uh, another great week of sports was after dark. We hope you enjoyed the bracket. I thought it was fun. An inflated lightning round, you know, everyone likes more points. And then some great World Series and Northwestern football talk. Thanks, both of you. I'm Ben Ballack, Zach Wingrove, Henry Edinger. Great show. Thanks, Mitt. Thanks, Henry. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cubs. Go, 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 go.